Thank you very much. Okay, so let's get going here with Proverbs. Um, uh, we'll have more time to talk about the wisdom literature and how it fits into uh, the larger structure of Scripture uh, a little bit later. Um, I did want to read, I think this is just a fascinating quote um, that can kind of help us um, understand where we are in the canon with these specific books. Um, this is a um, Old Testament, longtime Old Testament scholar in England uh, named Derek Kidner. Uh, he uh, was at Cambridge and then he um, wrote for Tyndale for a long time. Um, okay, so this is him talking about this section of the Hebrew Bible. And specifically, uh, he writes this book on, uh, it's called The Wisdom of Proverbs, Job, and Ecclesiastes. Okay, so we'll talk about Ecclesiastes next week. We talked about Job last week. Um, so if you remember, we, we've talked about this a little bit, but we kind of went through, um, as we were going through the story of the Jewish people all the way from Genesis through Second uh, Kings, we saw a narrative, um, and of course a lot of poetry in there too, but mainly it was a narrative that told us the story of what had happened. Now we're in this poetic interlude, right, where we had Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, the minor prophets, and now all of this Psalms and the wisdom material, right? So we're not seeing as much narrative. We have this big gap in the narrative, um, and there's a lot of reflection on um, kind of where they are. Uh, you think of the in the storyline, they're now in exile. Now we have a lot of literature written to help you deal with being in exile, right? Um, so this is where he kind of picks up his his book here, and he, in the very first page, he says, um, a distinctive voice. There comes a point in the Old Testament when the pilgrim is free to stop and take a look around. He has had a well-marked path to follow, and still it stretches on ahead, but now he must relate to the world at large, to the scenes spread out on every side, from what lies right at his feet, shrewdly pointed out in Proverbs, to what is barely visible at the horizon, the dark riddle of how the world is governed, the book of Job, and how it should be valued, Ecclesiastes. Now, says his guide, you shall see what sense it made to come the way we did, what false trails we avoided, what death traps. All the same, replies the pilgrim, there is plenty that I don't see. A lot that seems even wrong and pointless. Look at this, for instance, and this. In other words, the wisdom books, these books we're studying right now, um, in the wisdom books, the tone of voice and even the speakers have changed. The blunt, thou shalt or shalt not of the law, and the urgent, thus saith the Lord of the prophets, are joined now by the cooler comments of the teacher and the often anguished questions of the learner, where the bulk of the Old Testament calls us to, uh, simply to obey and to believe. This part of it, chiefly the books we, we have mentioned, so these three books he writes this on, uh, although wisdom is a thread that runs through every part, these three books summon us to think hard as well as humbly, to keep our eyes open, to use our conscience and our common sense, and not to shirk the most disturbing questions. So that's 
I think that's just a great little description of what we're talking about when we talk about the wisdom material and the wisdom books. Um, and certainly that will be the case as we um, study Proverbs today, okay? So um, let's talk about background here real quick. Um, Proverbs, most of the Proverbs were written by King Solomon sometime in the 900s. Uh, these Proverbs, along with a few others, were collected together in the reign, during the reign of Hezekiah around 700 BC. You actually see evidence of that within the text itself, 25 uh, verse 1. Um, there's a mention here of uh, the, the, uh, those who work for Hezekiah putting these uh, Proverbs together, uh, or writing some of them. Uh, if I can get there, Proverbs uh, 25, 1. These, are also, these also are Proverbs of Solomon, which the men of Hezekiah, king of Judah, copied. So uh, we see this kind of being brought forward together uh, during the reign of Hezekiah, and of course, heavily used and relied upon during the exile after 586. So uh, what are Proverbs? Well, Proverbs are short, compact statements that express wisdom. Uh, so they're poetry, they're figurative language. Um, the lack of structure forces the reader to focus on each individual proverb, right? This is not a, um, a narrative structure where, uh, you know, in a, you know, some kind of novel where he's building something, the story from ground up and moving towards something, right? It's these short, pithy statements. You have to evaluate and read each one um, kind of on their own, right? So that's, it's a little bit different <coughs> than some of the stuff we've already studied. Um, Proverbs are not, talk about this again um, at the end, but Proverbs, like a lot of this wisdom material did not originate in the Bible, right? Their um, ancient Near East had Proverbs. In fact, um, uh, Ezekiel um, mentions uh, a proverb, um, a very famous proverb that was being used by the people, um, but was not actually in the Bible, right? I mean, so Proverbs don't originate in the Bible. Proverbs are um, all over the place. And of course, we see in the um, uh, the Far East religions like um, Confucianism and um, some of the other ones, uh, Proverbs are heavily prevalent in those religions as well. But um, Solomon is using this particular um, genre of literature to express uh, spiritual biblical truths. Uh, and of course, he's inspired by the Holy Spirit as he's writing these. So um, they're very helpful for us, and uh, we'll talk about that more as we go along. Okay, so uh, let's jump in here, Proverbs 1 through 4. Proverbs begins with Solomon's description of the usefulness of Proverbs. They help you know wisdom and make right decisions. Spiritual growth will come as the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. So this is not dissimilar to the theme of Job, which we saw last week that you know, wisdom is its own reward. Godly wisdom is its own reward. Well, that's um, not dissimilar from this. Fear of the Lord leads to wisdom. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Um, uh, let's see. So similar to Job, it's, ap it's application for everyday life. It's, it originates from heaven, but it's very beneficial for us living here on earth. 
Um, okay, so speaking as a parent, that's the next blank there, speaking as a parent, Solomon encourages the youth to avoid the temptation of sinners. Uh, wisdom itself appeals to all naive ones. So wisdom is kind of a way of life here. Um, it appeals to all naive ones, asking them to, quote, turn to my reproof. So he's kind of personifying wisdom here, which we'll see um, more of as we go along here in the Proverbs. Uh, wisdom itself appear, appeals to all naive ones, asking them to turn to, to my reproof. Later, people will not be able to find wisdom, quote, because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. Um, so he's not really raising the eternal judgment question here, just speaking about earthly consequences of sin. Uh, the parent again appeals to the youth to fear the Lord and discover knowledge. He says that God is able to give wisdom to the upright and to be a shield to those with integrity. Those who seek God's wisdom will be protected from the ways of evil. So wisdom here is kind of a goal. It's a prize to be sought after and grabbed hold of. They will be able to stay upright and avoid sexual mishaps. He encourages the youth to remain faithful to the teachings and to walk in faith. And of course, very famous passage here, uh, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. <coughs> He encourages the youth to honor God with possessions and to accept God's discipline. Possessions is the last blank there. Uh, the author encourages pers perseverance and the fair treatment of one's neighbor. God has the same love and interest in the reader as the parent does. Not only does he tell the reader to, quote, take hold of instruction, but he says, quote, do not enter the path of the wicked. That's the blank there, path of the wicked. And do not proceed in the way of evil men. Avoid it, do not pass by it, turn away from it and pass on. It is not only important to pursue wisdom, but to avoid evil and temptation when possible. Um, let's read this. Chapter 4. Can I get a volunteer to read chapter 4, verses 10 through 19? 10 verses there. I got it. Okay. Uh, Hear, my son, and accept my words, and the years of your life may be many. I have taught you the way of wisdom, I have led you in the paths of uprightness. When you walk, your step will not be hampered, and if you run, you will not stumble. Keep hold of instruction, do not let go. Guard her, for she is your life. Do not enter the path of the wicked, and do not walk in the way of the evil. Avoid it, and do not go in, go on, sorry. Avoid it, do not go on it, turn away from it, and pass on. For they cannot sleep unless they have done wrong. They are robbed of sleep unless they have made someone stumble. How far do I go, 19? 19. 
For they eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. But the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until full day. The way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not they do not know over what they stumble. Yeah, thank you. So, um, now this you could often call like a common proverb today, but if you ever heard the expression, you sleep with dogs, you wake up with fleas, right? I mean, that's, um, I think that, that if, if that's a biblical principle, which it kind of is, it would come from, from passages like this, right? I mean, this is what it's saying. Like you avoid the ways of the evil um, as much as you can. So um, let's uh, talk about this. This is obviously something that can be applied to our lives. Um, it's important to avoid evil whenever possible. God will allow temptation to come into your life, but when you can avoid it, you should. Um, what are some practical ways we can avoid temptation in our lives? I'm just throwing out ideas here. Block websites, avoid certain social situations. And just open it up here. Um, thoughts about avoiding avoiding evil certainly um, comes into play when I'm having discussions with my teenagers. Um, but any thoughts here? Yeah, I think, um, for one, I mean, making no provision for the flesh. Mm. So, you know, avoiding those things that you know, or those times when you know that you're, you're tempted, avoiding those situations is, is always a good idea. But as it says, the fear of the Lord, and that's not just, uh, you know, fearing him as, oh, no, he's going to come down on me. It is a, a righteous understanding of who God is. And so... You know, we got a devotional that um, it's 31 days of just the characteristics of the, the attributes of God, or the attribute, some people like to say. And it, when you're in that and you're seeing God and his majesty and his eternality and his righteousness and his holy wrath and, and, and his, his uh, being uh, a jealous God, it really puts you into... Uh, a mode of obedience because of love, and so I, that's when I find that I can I am more apt to fight sin is when I really get a good understanding of who God is and the fact that He still loves me. Yeah, yeah, it's good. Yeah. Well, I'm sorry. Also, um, that just uh, I'm personally convicted when you stop talk about scrolling and stuff. It's like it's amazing how much time I can find to be on Facebook or to be on, in, watching a television show or to doing thing, anything, but, you know, I'll fight. I have to fight for the time to be in God's Word. But yet when I'm in God's Word, that's what saturates my mind, and that's, mm-hmm. what, that's what comes mm-hmm. out. Mm-hmm. So it's whatever you're, it, it's the, it don't mean it cliche, but whatever you put in is what comes out, and yeah. what, what you're equipped to deal with is, unless we have that in us and that's on our minds, and if we are spending the time that we should be in God's Word on a daily basis, that's what... How can we fight it if we don't, you know, if we're not focused on it, you yeah. know? Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Uh, accountability. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, I believe last year, maybe the year before, Ethan Keller gave a, a testimony during the men's yeah. breakfast. Basically, don't try to do this on your own. Yeah. Right. I mean, it was, it was, I couldn't believe it coming from a, a young man like that. Yeah. Yeah. It was great. I, yeah. 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 That's great. Yep. Yeah. Bruce? Yeah, I think, you know, people like Jonathan Edwards 
develop a whole host of resolutions to kind of say, yeah, yeah, resolve this way. Or we can think of Daniel committing himself. And, you know, a very practical thing for me in my life for the last, I don't know, 30 years has been I just kind of uh, forego or forsake uh, R movies. Yeah. Because I, every one I kept seeing nude women. And I just didn't feel comfortable that I should, I mean, that's just too much of a temptation uh, to get me thinking about things I don't need to be thinking about in the language and, and things like that, so. Yeah, there's the uh, famous, um, I, I assume it's true, but the thing I always heard was Billy Graham would go on the revivals and he, as soon as he got to the hotel, you don't let the TV. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Say that again. Uh, apparently, oh. Billy Graham, every time he would travel somewhere, he would unplug the TV as soon as he got to the hotel. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, not, obviously, he could just plug it back, but, you know, it's just a step, you know, the, this kind of idea. It's also yeah, my attributed to him that he said, first looks on God, second looks on you. Yeah, <laughs> that's a good one. Yeah, absolutely. That distinguishes the temptation versus him. Yeah. I, I agree so much with Jana. I know a couple of young men who have picked up things and read them <coughs> and pulled them far away from God. Yeah, right. And they seem to be strong in the Lord. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, I have constantly getting into the fall into temptation, getting angry. So uh, mm. um, I think what I, I am very agree with you, you know, that you need to have God's words with you. And then when that temptation comes, you can actually pray. Just to note uh, just how much more available uh, temptations are to us in this age than they would have been uh, yeah. several centuries mm -hmm. ago. Right. Just, just, just yeah, right. right there on the yeah. Yeah. Can I say one more thing? Yeah, just course. to tie it all together is that to humble ourselves, keeping ourselves humble to realize that we don't ever think that it can't happen to you. Mm -hmm. You know, it's keeping that, that, that the accountability and allowing people self-interest in your life and the resources that we have at this church to always be to be accountable yeah. and not realize that you know that it can happen to any any one of us um, and that so I think that's a lot of pride and humility that needs to come under God and yep. so yep. yep that's good okay let's uh, keep going here uh, Proverbs 5 5 through 9 uh, so the parent focuses on the pitfalls of immorality. <clears throat> pitfalls of immorality. The Proverbs shows the process of learning wisdom from one's godly parents. So uh, we're seeing parenting here in, in written form. Um, he warns about decisions which lead to adultery. I was talking and I didn't get that last. Oh, the big blank is uh, <laughs> pitfalls of immorality. No, I got that one. Oh. God is always watching and will. I'm sorry. No. She said he warned. So the next one after that. I'm sorry. That's all right. I promise I'll be better. <laughs> You're fine. <laughs> all right. So he advises to avoid the adulterous woman altogether and to rejoice in the wife of your youth. Um, yeah, the, there's there's a lot here, uh, some very wise things about opposite sex. I mean, um, 
things we can apply. I mean, if we're thinking about my own proverbs, Mark's proverbs, um, I would say um, there's no reason for you to be evangelizing someone of the opposite sex. You should let your spouse do that. Um, what else? Uh, I am not friends with any woman that my wife is not equal or better friends with. Uh, I no longer really keep up with my friends from college who were opposite se of the opposite sex. You know, I follow them on Facebook or whatever, but Instagram, but I don't have Facebook. Um, but uh, you know, I'm not. I don't keep up with them in that way. So I think there's just a lot of, you know, they're they're not directly written here, but I think there's some for 2024. There's some really good practical applications I think that come from these kind of principles. So, mm -hmm. anyway, um, side note: free of charge. Okay, let's keep going here. Um, God is always watching and will judge the adulterer. Uh, the parent gives several other warnings, including those against misusing money and being lazy. Uh, he warns against lying, saying, quote, a wicked man is the one who walks with a perverse mouth. Uh, he then lists seven sins which God hates. This is um, 6, 16 through 19. Um, the, these are not the seven deadly sins of um, the Catholic faith. Um, that's not actually in the Bible. Um, actually, um, uh, I'm a big fan of David Fincher. I love his movies, although sometimes they're pretty dark. And he did make this movie called Seven, which I would only recommend if you're in the mood for a dark movie. Anyway, it's about the seven sins of the Catholic Church, these seven deadly sins. But that's a, that's a Catholic Hollywood thing, right? It's not a biblical thing. Okay, so um, there, are, there are seven sins listed here, though, in uh, Proverbs 6, uh, 16 through 19. Uh, again, the parent warns against adultery and the dangers of harlots. To combat this, he advises the youth to keep my commandments and live. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Uh, wisdom itself makes an appeal to the youth. Again, wisdom personified here, right? It's like we're, we're taking this idea and he's, he's like a guy, he's a character. Uh, so wisdom itself makes an appeal to the youth, also describing the benefits of its pursuit. Wisdom is found when one fears the Lord and hates evil. Many of the Ten Commandments from Exodus 20, 1 through 7, are expounded upon here. In fact, um, if you studied the Pentateuch with us last year, uh, one of my main arguments about understanding the difference between the Pentateuch and the Mosaic Covenant is that when you're reading the theology of the Pentateuch, you understand the Mosaic Covenant for further faith generations, including those in the New Covenant, um, that, those, that becomes wisdom literature for us. Right? We think of it as wisdom literature. Okay, maybe we're not under that covenant anymore, but it's still very wise for us to think about how we can apply these things to our lives. Right? So, um, so again, many of the same things are expounded upon here. 
uh, in Proverbs. Wisdom claims to have been with God at creation. Again, this personified idea of wisdom. He claims to be with God at creation, quote, when he marked out the foundations of the earth. Um, incidentally, Genesis 1-2 is where the, the marriage covenant was established as well. Uh, so wisdom promises to give life to those who seek understanding and hopes to keep the youth away from the woman of folly. Uh, so let's try to apply this to our lives here. Um, Proverbs deals with adultery extensively. To avoid it, we must focus on God's commands, avoid temptations, and rejoice in our marriage relationships. Uh, to open it up here, how does Proverbs counter our culture's view of adultery? Are you focusing on God's commands and avoiding temptation in this area? What about your marriage? Are you rejoicing in your spouse? I know this isn't necessarily applicable to everyone if you're if you're um, not married, but um, anyway, just open it up for discussion here. Any thoughts? Good. So yeah, um, and maybe you'll speak on this uh, as to the grace of God. But I I really struggle reading uh, Proverbs, particularly. The guy who has uh, 700 wives, and uh, as the young uh, children would say, 300 porcupines. <laughs> so it's it's just uh, yeah. it's it just it, again again the grace of God for somebody who who has had I don't know how many times you you will vow that to 700 women. You know, life after that. I don't know if you'll speak to this, but that's that's my struggle in reading Proverbs. Is, you know, just mm-hmm. yeah. And I uh, I would I would love to have a better answer for you. Um, yeah, that's a difficult one. Uh, you know, I think that when you're reading the um, descriptive narrative of kings and you and Samuel, and you you learn about. Uh, David and then Solomon um, were presented with uh, the gift that God gave Solomon in wisdom, right? That he made him most wise. Even in the narrative, though, even before you get to the many wise, you see that he wasn't always uh, using his wisdom. Like he, even in the description of the, of the, um, increase of his influence and power and riches he was doing things that were against the um the guidance of what a king should be even from deuteronomy um so i think that the best way to answer that is we've got an example of someone who was given the wisdom of god he wrote it down he didn't always live it out in his life um it seems ridiculous i agree right that the man like that had some of these flaws was writing these things, but at the same time, God used him when he was writing. Of course, some of this we don't know exactly when he was writing. You know, some of these things as well. So that I I agree with you. It's it's a difficult thing. Um, I think that the beauty for me, the way I think about this in hermeneutics, is I'm thinking about the textual intention. And yes, it is tied to the author, but it's not tied to his person, right? And um, for the exact same reason, you've probably heard me use this illustration before. Like you think of a really hard scripture like Romans 7. If Paul was here and I had an hour to understand Romans 7, I'm not going to do a Freudian 
you know, psychological deep dive with him. Like, ultimately, it doesn't matter who he is and where he came from. It ultimately matters what he was communicating. So I think that's the best way to think of this is like, yes, it came from Solomon. Um, God used him to write this. Um, and so, but we think about authorial intent, we think about his textual intention. What did he communicate? Um, and I know it's easier said than done, but we do need to try to separate that from the man himself. That's the, to land the plane, that's how I'd answer that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So in defense of Solomon, just a little bit. Yeah. I think he, he mentions it, the wife of his youth, and there's a particular emphasis on her. Yeah. And I think she may be the only one he, gave, he had children with. Um, and most, and so he's, he seems devoted to her. He writes about it. That's, is that Song of Solomon? I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. So most of those wives were gifts from, you know, other kings and queens. And it was like, that was the cultural thing yes. they did. Yes. It's, it's actually even maybe possible that he never had sexual relations with any of them except for the one, his first wife. It's possible. It's possible. Yeah. You don't know, but. Yeah. Improbable. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But if you do the math on it, I don't even know if it's possible with all those wives, yeah. right? To, so if you go that way, it's not yeah, even math. But again, to, to come back to the original point, you can, you can see in the, in the narrative that Solomon has flaws, certainly. It is not presented in the narrative as an example of um, the Davidic king, yeah. that, that they should be seeking towards, that, that Deuteronomy lays out as the model king. He does not meet that standard, so we have to be able to read this and interpret it um, ultimately as the textual intention. Again, that ultimately for me, the way I see it, it's not a problem, right? Um, and, you know, for the same reason why uh, it's not an issue for me that we don't know who wrote Hebrews, right? I, I mean, we could, I think a lot of people have a problem with that and they try to say, oh, well, it was Paul or it was Luke or it was this. So I can, you know, but ultimately it doesn't matter. What matters is the textual intention and the Holy Spirit's inspiration of the text. Yeah. Okay, I want to say, so she did have her hand raised, but oh. so I, I just want to say this. Yeah. To me, I look at it and just see God's grace. Yeah, and the sure. fact that these people, these men had problems and the more wives and concubines or whatever, you think, they, that didn't seem to add to their life. Yeah. They, they, that, that was when things got, you know, yeah. sketchy and everything else that seemed just causing more problems. Yeah. But yet, it thought God still used them. Yeah. And that's where I just see the grace of it. And that I read back in the Old Testament, I'm like, wow, wow, wow. But yet, God's grace was still, yeah. through all of that, he still used imperfect men to yes. do his perfect yes. work. Yes. And that is where I get excited. Yeah. And the focus, like, like, I get it, you know, but it's like, okay. Uh, uh, maybe yeah. the best example of this is, if you've heard me teach it all, you've probably heard me say this, but my, my number one question when I get to heaven is, why did the lying come from Judah and not Joseph? Mm -hmm. So to me, other than the Christ, other than Christ, um, yeah. Joseph's the coolest character in the Bible. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so it seemed like, you know, when you, in a Hollywood, yeah. <laughs> yes, <laughs> Judah is not. So in a Hollywood story, you would think, well, man, Joseph, I mean, uh, what the majestic idea of him coming from that line. What a great character. But I think there's a, my guess is the answer is going to be, I can use anyone, right? Mm -hmm. um, so that, you know, that I think highlights that. Uh, you're next. Okay. 
-hmm. So <laughs> I raised my hand for the first questions about uh, uh, why Solomon uh, wrote this, and his life does not reflect what he knows. Yeah. But that's true for every one of yeah. us. Yes. Like Israel, you know, they had God's commandments. They failed. Yes. David yes. failed. Yes. Solomon failed. Yeah. So without the um, presence of God, without the Holy Spirit, and without actually having God's words and uh, um, empower us, mm -hmm. just like what Rich said, we will fail. Yeah, yeah, no, very good point. Yeah. Mike? I was just thinking that, that <clears throat> although God is very consistent, uh, you know, it's who he is, but for us, he, al he always seems to do the unexpected, you <laughs> know, and, and some of these things are just, you know, it amazes me, you know, that, that uh, he does it that way. Yeah, mm -hmm. right. Uh, I, I was just going to mention that uh, whereas it, it seems just uh, unbelievable that he had hundreds and hundreds of wives uh, and, but uh, consider how many of the people that we read about in the Old Testament prior to him had more than one wife and how much damage does that do to God's designated relationship mm. when you bring in that just that second wife mm -hmm. um, and, and yet that's the way many people mm. uh, conducted themselves yeah mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. yeah that's interesting anybody else any thoughts on any of these questions um, I'm thinking yeah. of David yeah you know the sins he committed but yet he's held up as the God after man's or the man after God's own heart and he confessed his sins and I think it's also a reminder that we need to pray for our leadership in whatever area because power and wealth can corrupt people without God's grace yep. anybody else any thoughts here God also have power to change people. So Judah was changed by God. Yes. It's very different. Yes. Later on. Yeah. Um, after they went back to Egypt to try to. Yeah. That's right. That's right. Anybody else? Any thoughts here? Um, yeah. I just always thought it was very clear in how he ties in and then in the Bible it says Solomon took on other wives and eventually that, you know, their gods. Um, corrupted his heart um, and it just reminds me of in Revelation when it says and I can't remember which church it is I'm failing that like Bible trivia where it says do not lose your first love and it shows us how quickly and how easily our hearts are so easily distracted by the, our loves of this world whether that be wealth or whether that be status by our peers or whether that be our job or our families these little kingdoms that we try and build um, that sidetrack us from that first love that we have that we are called to cultivate and pursue first and foremost in sacrifice of everything else, yeah, if that's, that's good. comes mm -hmm. Yeah, that's good. Okay, uh, let's keep going. Uh, Proverbs 10. Uh, let's see, 10.1 uh, says, uh, let me get there. 10.1 says, the Proverbs of Solomon, a wise son makes a glad father, but a foolish son is a sorrow to his mother. So we have a lot of these proverbs now that are antithetical, right? So you got uh, the first statement is a, a general truth followed by a statement of antithesis, right? So you've got the one wise sons 
makes a glad father, then the second statement, but a foolish son is a sorrow to his mother. So they're both true, they're consistent with each other, but they're saying the opposite thing about the opposite person, right? So it's, an, um, these are antithetical uh, proverbs. Uh, so Solomon delves into a contrast of the righteous and the wicked. Uh, fear and respect for the Lord characterize the righteous, and these things lead to satisfaction and long life. God hates all sins, including false balance. That's the blank there. That's uh, false balance. That's unfaithful business dealings. False balance. False balance, yeah. The scale. Yeah, the scale, yeah. False balance and the perverse in heart. Uh, God decides the fate of everyone, and the wicked will not go unpunished. The righteous and the wicked are again compared, the righteous being those who love discipline. Uh, quote, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man <coughs> is he who listens to counsel. So the wise man loves counsel, loves discipline. Uh, lying and laziness are both condemned as things God hates while anxiety is mentioned as something to be avoided. Uh, many of the contrasts of the righteous and the wicked in Proverbs are similar to the language used in Psalms. Psalms 1 discusses decision-making, while Psalm 28, 128 uh, discusses what comes to those who fear the Lord. Okay, then uh, starting in 13, Solomon continues to contrast the righteous and the wicked. Um, he's, he's got several of these, right? Righteous and wicked. So they're forcing us, the song, these proverbs are forcing us to look at this particular, um, um, you know, comparison uh, from more than one perspective. So he's giving us multiple applications of this contrast between the righteous and the wicked. He contrasts the souls of the sluggard and the diligent, one being empty and the other filled. The two are characterized by their associates as, quote, he who walks with wise men will be wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. And further, the reader is advised to, quote, leave the presence of a fool, or you will not discern words of knowledge. The one who abuses his neighbor is condemned, along with the liars, and oppressors of the poor. That's the blank there, oppressors of the poor. Uh, the author deals with speech of the upright and the wicked, saying, quote, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Really, really powerful little statement there. Uh, he discusses emotions, saying, a joyful heart makes a cheerful what does that say? Cheerful face. Uh, but when the heart is sad, the spirit is broken. He discusses folly and sense, saying, quote, without consultation, plans are frustrated, but with many counselors, they succeed. Lastly, God is with the righteous but far away from the wicked. 
Okay, so moving on here, Proverbs 16 through 24. Um, Solomon continues to contrast the righteous and the wicked. He contrasts the pleas of men and the plan, I'm sorry, not the pleas, the plans of men. I can't read my own writing. He contrasts the plans of men and the plans of God. Saying, quote, all the ways of a man are clean in his own sight, but the Lord weighs the motives. Ouch. Uh, it is God's purposes that will be fulfilled, not man's. The mind of man plans his ways, but the Lord directs his steps. He speaks of the importance of humility. saying pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before stumbling. The wicked spread violence, but the righteous are slow to anger. God dislikes those who are unjust. He, uh, quote, he who justifies the wicked and he who condemns the righteous. That's, that's the definition here of the unjust. Um, likewise, quote, it is also not good to fine the righteous, fine, like penalize the righteous, nor to strike the noble for their uprightness. God is just and hates to see injustice even on earth. Uh, 1715, he who justifies the wicked and who, he, he who condemns the righteous are both like an abomination to the Lord. God is to be depended upon as, quote, the Lord of the, uh, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous runs into it and is safe. <clears throat> Solomon advises against speaking before listening as, quote, he who gives an answer before he hears, it is folly and shame to him. <clears throat> he also says to be careful about offending others. as the tongue is powerful. Uh, there's a New Testament book that I would say has, very, has a lot of the same themes that uh, we see in these few chapters, and that would be James, right? Um, a lot of speak about, uh, a, lot of, uh, a lot of discussion there in James about um, uh, taming the tongue, um, the, the folly of things that are said out of the mouth, being slow to speak, things like that. So um, James is probably the, James and then a lot of um, Jesus' actual things that he says, his sermons and his parables, those are the best example of wisdom literature in the New Testament. Mark, yeah. can I add something to, um, just thinking about the paragraph before when you're talking about how the plans of men and plans of God, someone from our Bible study this week brought this verse to our mind and I had, one of my favorites as well, but it's in Proverbs 16, 3, says, commit your works to the Lord and your plans will be established. Mm. And I think that's a lot of where we fail. You know, we talk about motive. It's like, I have a plan for the day. I have, like, you know, I make my plans. I'm, you know, I have my plan for my life and that kind of thing. And I, I think that this is just something that to 
draw our attention to is commit your works to the Lord and your plan in, in your plans will be established. Mm -hmm. And I you know, we've talked about accountability, we've talked about being in God's word, but the one thing we haven't talked a whole lot is about is and what all of Psalms was is crying out to God is prayer, is the mm -hmm. importance of prayer yeah. and even just starting our day, committing that day and, and praying to God. And um, I, I just think there's a lot of, of knowing that people are praying for you as well and um, that that's just something to be stated. Yeah. The importance of not just being in God's word but praying to God and, and the power of prayer and the difference yeah. that it can make yeah. in, in your thoughts and your actions as well for other people. Yeah, that's great. Thank you. Okay, uh, uh, starting here, chapter 19, uh, much advice on daily living is given. The author says that lying will not go unpunished. He contrasts the curse that is a f that a foolish child is with the blessing of a prudent wife. <clears throat> Again, the plans of man are contrasted with those of God as, quote, the counsel of the Lord will stand. The righteous will have sons that bless him, and the young men will make their mark by deeds. Although God hates injustice, that's the point there, God hates injustice, he says that he will deal with it, not us. Mm -hmm. Do not say, I will repay evil, wait for the Lord, and he will save you. Justice is mine, right? That's the, that's the idea here. Uh, deceitfulness and trickery in business and worship are spoken against. The righteousness discussed here is, quote, uh, is desired by the Lord more than sacrifice. It's very similar to the prophets, Hosea 6.6. 6. Um, Jesus picks up on this in Matthew and Mark as well. Uh, it's, it's about the heart, right? It's not about external obedience to the Mosaic commandments. It's about the heart. Um, even... Again, I would argue the presentation of the Mosaic Covenant, for those of you who were with us a year ago, presentation of the Mosaic Covenant within the Pentateuch suggests that even that is about faith. It's about that you need faith to actually succeed in obeying the commandments. Um, and that's one of the messages of the Pentateuch. Um, but that's certainly a message here as well. Um, uh, righteousness discussed here is desired by the Lord more than sacrifice. Uh, those who turn their back on the poor will not be answered in turn by God. The righteous and the wicked are further contrasted as those who pursue righteousness, guards their speech, and listen to truth are righteous. So those are the righteous. They pursue righteousness, they guard their speech, and they listen to truth. While sluggards, that's the blank there, sluggards are those with evil intentions and are wicked. Uh, then uh, there in 22, chapter 22, the reader is instructed to, quote, train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. The righteous are encouraged. To maintain truth by applying your mind to my knowledge so they may correctly answer he says to uh, beware of the angry and debts that can ruin a person that's the blank there ruin a person uh, the delicacies of the rich and the selfish are to be avoided <clears throat> 
Uh, the author gives instruction on raising children, saying, quote, do not hold back discipline from the child, although you strike him with the rod, he will not die. You shall strike him with the rod and rescue his soul from Sheol. Um, this is 2318 maybe, or 2412. I wrote down both passages here, but um, starting to see more in um, this section of scripture, certainly in the later part of the prophets, about the afterlife, eternal reward, not, not full expositions of what heaven is, but uh, more talk of this, right, which was not in the Pentateuch at all, but uh, more talk of this, this reward eternally. Uh, so fools are presented as those who delight in harlots and drink excessively. That's what the fool is. Uh, wisdom is again exalted as the desire of the hearts of the righteous. The wicked do not desire this, however, and are happy when their enemies fall. They are lazy and their fields become, quote, completely overgrown with thistles. <clears throat> when one is lazy, poverty will come as a robber. Uh, so again, that's kind of personifying something like we personified wisdom. Well, now it's personifying poverty, right? It's going to come like a robber. Um, so this last section, there may be others. Uh, 24, 23 says, uh, let me get there. 24, 23. Uh, these are also sayings of the wise. So this may not be Solomon, or maybe he's just relaying what other wise men have said here. Uh, we're, we're not sure. Um, so uh, let's actually read um, verses, let's see, 20, chapter 24, verses 30 through 34. These uh, sayings of the wise here, 24, 30 through 34. Could I get a volunteer to read those five verses? Yeah, Gary. I passed by the field of a slaughter, by the vineyard of a man lacking sense, and behold, it was all overgrown with thorns. The ground was covered with nettles. And its stone wall was broken down. Then I saw the con and considered it. I looked and received instruction. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. Yeah, thank you. So, um, obviously, there's a lot of things we can apply to our lives here as we go through the Proverbs, but there does seem to be some talk here about work. Um, Proverbs emphasizes work ethic to just um, in discussing the righteous and the wicked, we must be diligent and avoid the laziness that results in consequences for us and our families. We must see our laziness as evil, just as Proverbs does. Um, so for discussion, how is laziness evil? How can we avoid justifying laziness and procrastination in our lives? Does it help to view it as Proverbs does? Any thoughts here? Work ethic, laziness... Laziness is like that house that's been swept clean, mm. right? Mm. If you don't fill it up with what you should, it fills up with thorns and nettles. And yeah, yeah, that's good. Yeah. I, I think uh, just how big and complex this this book is, and you, you're just never going to get through it unless you're diligent mm. and, and, and 
Yeah. Well, laziness, I think, has a um, leads a man to uh, take advantage of other people's work. Yes, it does. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yep. One of the first things that we're told in Genesis and Adam were to work, you know, naming the animals and that sort of thing. And then also we're told that, you know, let him that steals steal no more, but work with his own hand that he might be able to give to others. Yes. So, you yes. know, it's, it's, again, it's a tool uh, that can be used yep. by those in Christ yep. to glorify God. I think uh, it's a common misconception in Christendom to think that the curse mm. was work itself. It wasn't, right? The curse was that it's harder. <laughs> the ground is hard, and so it sometimes your work sometimes your work is harder than it should be, or needs to be, or was designed to be. Yeah. That doesn't mean that we weren't designed to work. And so I think that it would be a mistake to think that. Um, well, I get to go to heaven one day, and then I can just sit around all the time, right? Like that's your enjoyment, or that's your like. No, you be worshiping a lot, but you'll be working. Like you know, that's. I mean, that's what we were designed to do. So. Another little doctor. This retirement thing is only temporary. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're working a lot well, too, but you're retired. Better have something to keep you busy. <laughs> retirement won't last very long. Yeah. Mark, I think also of laziness being a, a time when temptation comes along maybe the strongest yep. because of your idle mind, your idle hands. Mm. There's a possibility there. Yes. Else. Yeah. Well, I was just thinking about the verse that I said was Proverbs 16.3, and then also taking it back to Colossians 3.23, that whatever we do, we're to do heartily as to the Lord mm -hmm. and not unto men. So it doesn't matter what you're doing, you, 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 should, you should be doing it for the Lord. Yes. And so um, whatever I do for the Lord, I don't want it to be done lazily, is that a word? So I think sometimes, again, that's just our motivation, our heart set, our mindset yep. being on that as well. All right, let's finish up here. Uh, Proverbs 25 through 31. Proverbs moves into a discussion of kings and the community. Um, this is kind of a, you kind of think of these as kind of principles of leadership here, dealing with public life. So followers are to be humble before a king, and evil should not influence him. Acting appropriately with others and being faithful are both encouraged. People should do this, quote, and the Lord will reward you. Fools should not be honored at all. They have no benefit to the king or the community. Even when, quote, he speaks graciously, do not believe him. For there are seven abominations in his heart. Contrasted with fools are those who practice hard work and self-control. Humility is encouraged, is also encouraged. Do not boast, quote, do not boast about tomorrow. Let another praise you and not your own mouth. The importance of friendships are discussed. As, quote, iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Um, 
Although the section deals with leadership, public life, um, the structure makes us read each individual saying, just like the rest of Proverbs here. Um, and uh, this iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. That's 2717. Um, mentioned accountability earlier, Ethan. Um, uh, th this is a great verse, I think, for the concept of relationships within the church, accountability within the church. Uh, okay, so let's see, 28, uh, moving on there, standards of the community are that are presented are able to be achieved through obeying certain instructions. The fear of the Lord is presented as an important element, as blessed is the man who fears always, but he who hardens his heart will fall into calamity. Uh, justice can be understood when one seeks the Lord. It's the blank there, seeks the Lord. The one who does not seek the Lord and his law, quote, even his prayer is an abomination. Trust is essential for the Lord who trusts, the one who trusts in the Lord will prosper. But, quote, he who trusts in his own heart is a fool. Those who trust in the Lord are righteous. They help the land and the community, bringing rejoicing and a lack of a temper in relations with others. Some of these, um, uh, it's helpful to think about Proverbs and the wisdom literature in that they're not um, prophetic promises, right? I mean, so he's going to say things like um, those uh uh, where, did I, where did I go here? Um, uh, trust is essential. Trust in the Lord. Those who trust in the Lord will prosper. Is that always true? No. Right? So some of these are general statements, right? Bring up your child in the instruction of the Lord, and they will, well, that doesn't always happen, right? So you need to be careful about that. It doesn't mean that God's word isn't true. It just means this is the nature of the wisdom literature. He's making pithy general statements that are true in general and they're useful for us to apply to our lives because they are true in general okay um let's see again this all comes because of their trust not in man but in god quote many seek the ruler's favor but justice for man comes from the lord uh so now we're the last two chapters 30 and 31 uh, 30 is a proverb of Agur, uh, which uh, the blank there is focuses on humility. Uh, you can kind of think of, okay, we got this uh, proverb of Agur, and then um, the last proverb is uh, of the woman, Proverbs 31, woman. These are kind of like models of what we've seen in the pithy statements for 29 chapters. Um, so proverb of Agur focuses on humility. He says that he is unable to fully understand God, yet he knows his word is sufficient. Um, 30 verse 4 says, uh, let me get there. Sorry. 30 verse 4, who has ascended to heaven and come down? Who has gathered the wind in his fists? Who has wrapped up the waters in a garment? Who has, who has established all the ends of the earth? 
What is his name? And what is his son's name? Surely you know. That's interesting. Um, so obviously we see in the Gospels there's this expectation of the Son of God, right? This association with the Messiah, with the Son of God. So it's an interesting little uh, tidbit there from uh, verse 4. Uh, let's see. He says he's unable to fully understand God, yet he knows his word is sufficient. Quote, every word of God is tested. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Do not add to his words, or he will reprove you, and you will be proved a liar. Agur discusses several different things, and each highlighting the importance of humility and hard work. If you have been foolish in exalting yourself, or if you have plotted evil, put your hand on your mouth, for the churning of milk produces butter. Uh, the last proverb, chapter 31, comes from someone named King Lemuel, uh, L-E-M-U-E-L, that's the blank there, who quotes his mother giving him advice. She warns him not to be consumed with wine, for it will cause him to miss out on his responsibilities. Her views of a king's responsibilities, that's the blank there, match that of Moses, Deuteronomy 17. Uh, Proverbs finishes with a description of a good wife. Uh, this is also an acrostic. If you remember, we saw that in Psalms a couple times, where um, each line begins with a different letter from the Hebrew alphabet. Um, so description of a good wife, she does him good and not evil all the days of her life. She's concerned for the poor and has her family well prepared. Strength and dignity are her clothing. Uh, most importantly, she fears the Lord, resulting in praise from her children and her husband, who says, quote, many daughters have done nobly, but you excel them all. A great line. Uh, her works will, quote, praise her in the gates. The book of Ruth uh, follows the end of Proverbs. This is in the way we're studying it. The Leningrad Codex has this order. It's not all the orders of the Hebrew Bible, but... Uh, they're at least close to each other, which I find is interesting. Book of Ruth following the end of Proverbs here, presenting her as an example of the Proverbs 31 woman. Uh, so significance here. Um, uh, sorry. Uh, presenting her as an example of the Proverbs 31 woman. So uh, not much time here, but just want to talk about Proverbs 31 a little bit here. Presents a woman what a woman should strive for and what a man should desire in a wife. She should be concerned with her family and the poor and have strength and dignity. Her husband should praise her for these things. So open it up. When, when women, do you strive to be a Proverbs 31 woman? Men, do you encourage this behavior and even praise it? That's part of this too. Right? Men should be reading this. They should be encouraging this and praise this kind of behavior. Uh, how is this uh, model contradicted by society's ideas of what a woman should be. Almost out of time. Any, any thoughts here? Proverbs 31. Very powerful chapter. Anybody? Okay. Well, think about it as we go on in the week. Um, we didn't get to go through wisdom literature, but please read it or take a picture or whatever. Um, we kind of talked about it. This is wisdom literature. Um, it began in the ancient Near East. This isn't original to the Bible, but the Bible's authors are using it, that particular genre, 
to communicate these truths. So um, we see these different things being used, Job, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Son of Solomon. They're all kind of different, but they're all part of this uh, wisdom literature. Uh, you know, we see a lot, especially today, these pithy statements versus the stories. Um, but the heart of this is teaching us how to, how to live and act wisely. Um, so anyway, um, come read more if you want to or discuss after. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thank you.